0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, and we are going to be here for the rest of the summer, basically. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse number one, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Father, will you guide us in these next several moments... And Lord, indeed, would you guide us through the rest of the summer as we set our attention to the word of the Lord as given to us in Matthew chapter 24. Guide us, help us, Lord, not to add to your word nor to take away from it, but to speak what is written so that we may run with what we have been given by Christ. We ask in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. And amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. While I was away, I was spending some time really seeking the Lord as to the direction that we needed to go in throughout the summer months. The last few years, we have done a series for the summer, and that has just served us well, so that at least you know what we're going to be dealing with throughout the summer months. And as I really waited on the Lord, I, I just kept thinking about the times that we live in, the issues that we are facing, the challenges that we are being forced to deal with, the stands that we are having to take reluctantly, that no matter how compassionate, no matter how merciful, no, uh, no matter how loving we try to be, we're always cast in a very negative, very hateful uh, light. Really, I've just been considering the dangers that we are exposed to every day. How many of you would agree with me when I say we are living in very complicated days? Very complicated days, and that's putting it mildly. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then listen to this, and from such people turn away. Don't even keep company with them. You know, the other day as I was reading that, I was reminded that as Paul begins to unpackage the perils of the last days, he focuses his attention exclusively on moral peril, not physical peril. In that list, you will not find any physical peril. It is all moral peril. It is peril that deals with the heart. And what Paul is saying is that you should fear moral peril than physical peril any day. That physical peril is nothing compared to moral peril and that you should be much more concerned about moral peril than you'll ever be against physical peril. Jesus said as such, when He said, do not fear the one that can kill the body and then after that has no power over the spirit, but rather fear the one who after killing the body can throw both body and soul into an eternal hell. Understand right now that moral peril is infinitely more dangerous than any physical peril you could find yourself in, so much so that Paul said, "From such people turn away. Don't even keep company with individuals that practice these things." Was reminded of what Paul said in First Corinthians, fifteen, verse thirty-three, the other day: "Evil company corrupts good morals or good behavior." The Apostle Paul was saying, be very careful about who you are spending time with, especially if they are practicers of these things, because eventually their behavior will corrupt your good sense, your good morals. Be very careful, be very mindful of the people that you are keeping company with in these days. He starts there by saying, know this. Um, know this thoroughly. Know this Completely Know this absolutely. Be thoroughly convinced within your heart that perilous times will come. I'm not making this up. I'm not pulling this out of a hat. Paul is saying you have to become thoroughly convinced perilous times will come. The word perilous there means hard to deal with. It means difficult. It means fierce. It means violent. And it actually carries the idea of becoming more urgent. Paul is saying the closer that we get to the coming of the Lord, the more urgent the days will be. The more hard to deal with they will be. The more difficult they will be. The more fierce they will be. The more violent they will be. In fact, that word is used in the Gospels to describe the demoniac that was possessed with legion. What he's simply saying is that the earth in the last days is going to be satanically and demonically deceived and induced. That literally we can't even define the peril of the last days other than to say it is demonic. Restraint will be removed from the earth in the last days. Men and women will not submit to authority. They will not submit to laws, natural laws, biblical laws. They will do what is right in their own eyes. Welcome to life in these United States in 2017. Not only are we facing things we never prepared for, but we are facing things we never imagined we would have to prepare for. If if you know you're my age or a little older, you know if someone told you that we would be dealing with some of the issues we're dealing with in the United States of America when we were 20 or something, we would have laughed and said that's impossible. If you had told me 28 years ago, when Kathy and I first started out in full-time ministry, that we would be dealing with some of the things that we have had to deal with in ministry, I would have said, that is impossible. I mean, I know that things are going to get worse and worse, but they can't get that bad. But here we are, dealing with things we never imagined we would ever, ever have to deal with. Not in our wildest imaginations. I, I... I hesitate to say this but I'm talking to all the young couples but I I want you to remember that when I say this to couch it all in this where sin abounds grace does much more abound. So no matter how wicked the days are God has always provided more grace to sustain you. But you know what? As a young couple contemplating children you need to sit down and carefully count the cost of raising children in the days that we live in. And again, don't be terrified. You need to have children. I'm not saying you shouldn't have them. We need to have children. If, if we are ever going to see things turned around, we need to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But you need to count the cost of raising children in the days that we live in. Because all hell is breaking loose. And conditions are deteriorating rapidly. How do we live? How do we respond? How do we gauge ourselves? By what standard do we gauge ourselves? What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? What is permissible? What is not permissible? I mean, we have a lot of questions today. How do we live as believers in the 21st century? These are perplexing days, and I have to tell you, it is going to take more confidence in God, more courage, more discipline to live them out properly than what we could even begin to imagine. If we do not have God's help, we will not make it in the days that lie ahead. The good news is, is that we have the Word of God that provides the unchanging Unalterable truth to guide us and we have the abiding presence of the holy spirit living within us To give us the strength to live for the glory and for the honor of god How many of you are thankful for that that we don't have to live in confusion We have the word of god that speaks to these issues and we have the holy spirit to empower us To execute his marching orders for the glory of his name I love what the Psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 89. He says, forever, forever, eternally, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. I love that. The word settled there means fixed. It means determined. It means stationary. He's saying forever, for all of eternity, before time began, after time ends, for all of eternity, your word, your truth is settled. It is fixed. It is determined. It is stationary in heaven. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forever his word is settled in heaven. It's fixed in heaven. It is not Fluid. It doesn't shift and change. It remains true yesterday, today, and forever. And so no matter what culture tells us, we know what truth is and we stand in it for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. Let me just say this very quickly. As Christians, we are not on a quest for truth. We're not on a journey for truth. We're not on a hunt for truth. We are Christians because we have come to believe that Christ is the truth, that truth is revealed, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that the Word of God is Truth for the glory and the honor of God. So never allow yourself to think I'm on a search for truth. No, truth has come. And as believers, we are saying the word of God is true, yesterday, today, and forever, and we're going to stand with it for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. And I love the, the connection between truth and the Spirit of God. In John 14 and verses 15 through 18, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you I am so thankful that he did not leave us as orphans without someone to comfort us and to guide us in these days. But he has come to us in another helper, the Holy Spirit of truth, who comes to all who love Christ and keep his commandments. So as I remain steadfast in the word of God, I am guaranteed that the Father is continually sending the Spirit into my heart and into my life to empower me to live the way I am called to live in these days in Jesus mighty name these are the days that we live in and so as I thought about that this past week I found myself drawn continually to Matthew 24 Matthew 24 as many of you know deals exclusively with the events surrounding the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the end of the age as we know it And also the ushering in of the kingdom of God where he will rule and reign for all of eternity. Many of you know also, because I have been very clear on this in the past, that through the years I have been very reluctant to deal with prophetic themes. Um, with the subject of the end times and end time theology and that is not because i do not believe in the end times because most certainly i do believe in the end times nor is it because i am unsettled in what i believe because i am very settled in what i believe i know what i believe i know why i believe it and yes i am a firm believer in the last days my reluctance in speaking on these themes is simply it has been my observation through the years that the end-time message is mishandled. It is abused by many, and it has derailed the faith of many men and women who were really sincere. Uh, They have seen it abused, they've seen it twisted, and for some of them, they have given up any idea that Christ is coming again, and for others, they just walk away from the faith completely because they will say, God does not keep his promises, because look at what this man said about the coming of the Lord, and it didn't come to pass. But that wasn't what God said, that is what man said. And I've just seen that abuse and I've seen people walk away from the faith. Unfortunately, that doesn't excuse me from teaching what the Bible clearly lays out. Regardless to what I see men and women doing to the message does not excuse me from dealing with the message. I have to. As a full gospel preacher, at some point I have to deal with end time events. But what it does do is it urges me to handle it with care and to make sure that when I teach it, I always teach it within the proper context. And that context is not to try and figure out all the details of end-time theology, especially those details that are wrapped in imagery that we are very speculative about, but rather to teach what is clearly revealed so that we might hear it prepare ourselves, and be ready when Christ comes again. And that's why I love how Jesus taught about his second coming because he taught it from the standpoint of preparedness. Jesus always taught his disciples in this way that this is what is coming, you need to know it so that you can be prepared for the days, so that you will know how to live in the days that are leading up to the coming of the Lord, that you might be prepared in all things. Remember when we were kids, when we would play hide and seek, and all the kids would go and hide, and someone would lean up against the house or lean up against the tree, wherever you were playing, and they would begin to count to 20 to 50 to 100, whatever it was that was predetermined. And once they got there, they announced the commencement of their search with this phrase Ready or not, here I come. Remember those days? Well, folks, ready or not, here he comes. Believe it or not, here He comes. The one thing that all of us as believers have in common is that we all know Christ is coming again. We may not agree with all the details, but we at least agree that one day Christ will return and He will establish His earthly kingdom and He will rule and reign forever and forever but we don't have to be unprepared. These things have been written so that we might be ready for his coming, that we might be prepared and not caught off guard. I've entitled this series End Games. The dictionary defines that phrase, End Games, as the late or final stages of any activity. I love that. The late or final stages of any activity. Folks, The hour is late, and the final stages of human history are upon us. And we cannot go into these days without a plan, without a strategy. We must be prepared for them. Because if you're waiting till the last minute, you need to know that what Scripture makes clear, you will not have time to prepare for it. You've got to be ready whenever Christ returns. You have to be ready for the days leading up to the return of the Lord. Thankfully, we do not have to go into these days blind. Jesus told us exactly what to expect and how to prepare for it. Yes there are some things that we're not sure about. We speculate and we assume but there are many other things that are very clear that are not ambiguous that are clearly laid out for us and certainly there is enough in the word of God so that we can take it into our heart and say this is how God wants me to live in the days that I am living in for the glory of the Lord in Luke's account of the same story in Luke chapter 24 beginning with verse 34 uh, Luke uh, excuse me Luke chapter 21 beginning with verse 34 he says but take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly he says take heed to yourselves Watch yourselves, listen to what you say, be mindful of what you put before your eyes, listen to how you speak to one another, watch how you live, because I don't want you to be distracted by all this that is going on in the world, lest this day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come As a snare on all the earth. On those who dwell on the face of the earth. So watch therefore. And pray always. That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. That will come to pass. And to stand before the son of man. His words are definite. He says watch yourself. Every day be mindful of who you hang with. Of what you say. Of what you do. Of what you listen to. Of what you watch. Be very careful careful about how you live. Don't allow the world to become a distraction to you so that that day comes upon you unexpectedly like a snare. Instead watch continually and pray always that when Christ comes again you will be able to stand before him with great confidence knowing you've prepared yourself rather than cower in fear because you were not ready when he came. Paul a number of years after this would elaborate on it in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses two through four. He says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And they shall not escape, he says. I think most of you know that what he is illustrating when he says as a thief in the night is that no criminal announces when he's going to come. Not unless he's on that stupid criminals video, you know. No criminal tells you when they're going to strike. They come when you do not expect them. And that's what he's saying. When Christ comes, he is coming when you are least expecting. But he goes on to say, you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, we do not have to be in the dark on this issue. God has shed light through his word upon this. If we are caught in the dark, it is our fault. God has gone to great lengths to shed light upon the end times so that you and I can take the appropriate measures so that we are ready for the days that we live in, in Jesus' name. And that is what we're going to be dealing with over this summer We are just going to be talking about preparing ourselves for the days that lie ahead. Now, this morning is simply an introduction, which means that you may leave here today with more questions and you do have answers. But that's okay, because we're going to be working through this material all summer long. And through the weeks to come, you'll see it all coming together for the glory of God. But today, it is just my purpose to establish the context, to kind of set the stage. That's all I've come here to do today. We're not going to go into a lot, but you need to understand the context in which this discussion began. Jesus didn't just start talking about the end times. He didn't just start talking about the second coming. There was something that had happened, a question that was asked that got the ball rolling, and that's what I want to establish here today as we move forward. I want you to understand that Jesus' primary reason of bringing this up was to tell them, if you are not secure in me, you will never make it. That everything you put your hope and trust in is coming to nothing. Only I can save you. And folks, you and I need to be absolutely convinced that our only hope of making it is Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior, the rock of our salvation. Can you give him the praise this morning? Matthew 24 actually begins with these words, if your Bible is still open. He says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, which obviously means that he had been in the temple prior to these events. He was already there. And you can read back and you can see his activity within the temple And you need to understand that when the Bible says that he left the temple, that he went out from it and he departed, that it was not just Jesus simply departing from the temple in a physical sense, it was Jesus departing from the temple in a spiritual sense as well. Jesus would never again enter the temple. This was Wednesday. He is going to be crucified on Friday. So he is just two days away from his crucifixion. And Jesus would never again enter the temple. This would be the last time that the presence of Christ would ever grace the temple. God would obviously on Friday enter in and tear the veil from top to bottom to show men and women that the way had been opened by Jesus Christ but that was it this was the last time that the presence of Christ would ever be in that temple the the time of the Old Testament was passing away this was God saying that from this point on the temple is my son Jesus Christ in fact Jesus said tear this temple down i will rebuild it in three days speaking of his uh, resurrection so what jesus is saying is no longer will you go to the temple to find god you will come through christ to meet with god from this point on no longer would god meet with worshipers in the temple from this time on god would never receive another offering made in the temple it was in christ and christ alone Jesus had spent the whole day in the temple. That Wednesday he was there contending with the religious leaders and and exposing their hypocrisy. In fact, Matthew chapter 23, if you want to read it later, it is all about his um, unmasking the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of that day. And then he ends with this. Listen to it. It's verse 20, uh, excuse me, it's verse 37 through 38 of Matthew 23. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Listen to these words, but you were not willing. How many of you know God doesn't force himself on anyone? You know, that's why we have to be careful how we pray for our loved ones when we say, Lord, save my son, save my daughter. It's insinuating that God doesn't want to. All you have to do is look to the cross and see that God has done everything that He can do to provide a means for salvation. It is just that man is not willing to come to Him. You are not willing, He says. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's referring there to his second coming. He's saying, you will never see me again until I come in clouds of glory and you will fall upon your knees and with your mouth confess, I am the blessed one who has come from the Lord. Those words were a pronounced judgment upon the temple and upon, really, the whole religious system. You may remember earlier when Jesus had gone into the temple to cleanse the temple, remember what he said? He says, my house will be a house of prayer. But now, he is delivering the temple over to the hardened hearts of these religious leaders, and notice what he says here. He says, your house will be desolate. No longer will my presence be there. This is your house. It is a dead, empty, vain religion that will not save you. And with that, he left the temple. He departed, and in that moment, God's presence left. God would never meet man again in that temple. Now, you know, we're looking at this 2,000 years removed, so we can see this. The disciples doubtly fully appreciated the significance of what was happening. In fact, I think that they were probably in, in a state of trying to encourage Christ. We'll see that in a moment. But there was absolutely no way that they could miss what Jesus was talking about In the next scene, look at Matthew 24, verse number one. He says, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple, the buildings of the temple. They were on their way back to Bethany. Many of you know that they were stationed in Bethany in that last week before his crucifixion. And as they're making their way in Bethany, I understand that there is a path that they would have walked back on that would have given them a perfect vantage point to look down upon the whole temple complex. Because it wasn't just the temple. It was on Mount Moriah and it was a complex. It it, it had you know, huge retaining walls on um, Mount Moriah and there were many buildings and it was an unbelievable sight. In fact, Herod's temple was A wonder of the ancient world, and it was more beautiful than any of us could ever possibly imagine. It was destroyed so we don't see pictures of it, but there have been renderings and there have been models of it. And it was more amazing than what we could ever imagine. Historians of that day say, you had never seen beauty until you had seen Herod's temple construction on the temple actually this would have been a remodeling if you will of the temple started 19 BC and it would continue until 63 AD some 80 years later Now, think about that too. They finished it in 63 AD. What happened in 70 AD? The temple was destroyed. So they only enjoyed it for 70 years. They were building it for 80 years, and then it was gone within seven. It sounds like retirement. You save your whole life for the last 10 years. I mean, it's just tragic. But they put all the time and effort into this wonderful temple and enjoyed it for seven years, and it was completely destroyed. But they weren't just looking at the building either. They were looking at the stones. In Mark's account of this same story, Mark 13, he says that the disciples said to him, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. They were even marveling of the stonework. Now, when you and I think of stones in a building, we're thinking of cinder blocks or we're thinking of just these stones that are pieced together to make a wall. But folks... (laughs) understand that there were stones in that temple that were 37 feet long. Not 37 inches, 37 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet thick. In most cases, they weighed about 100 tons, though the average, I guess, was somewhere between 50 and 60 tons We have absolutely no idea how they got them there, how they were fashioned, how they were moved into place. It was a wonder of the ancient world. Historians tell us that there was no mortar used to join the stones together and they were quarried with such uh, precision that you couldn't even fit a knife between the seams. That's how perfect those stones were. The gold that was used was so pure that it reflected the sun with such brilliance that historians tell us that travelers to Jerusalem saw it glistening from miles and miles away. And they used such pure white marble that it literally looked like snow caps were on it. And it stood as a symbol of the superiority of faith you would find in Israel the disciples were proud of it and they were boasting with it, with Christ and again, I think that their motives were pure it wasn't that they were trying to make a big deal about the temple, but remember this is the last week of Jesus' life, his passion, and he has just spent a whole day contending with these religious leaders, he knows that the nation is turned against him he knows that the cross is only a couple of days away, and I'm sure that they saw the anguish and the pain and the anger that was upon Christ's face, and they try to encourage him to say, look at the beauty of this temple. I know that there's a lot of crazy things, but think of all the good things that God has done in this temple. And Jesus turned to them in verse 2 and he said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow. Now, when they heard that, like, We just read this and it's not a big deal to us because we don't have that context. But just imagine what I just described to you. They're they're shocked, first of all, that God would allow the temple to be destroyed. Secondly, how are you going to move 37 feet long stones that are 12 feet high and 18 feet deep? How are you going to move those? They're just... Jesus, come on. Like, I know you're under a lot of pressure, but you can't honestly believe that not one stone in this temple is going to be left thrown off the other. But you know as well as I do that that was all fulfilled to the T just 40 years later when Titus led the armies of Rome into Jerusalem. 1.6 million Jews were exterminated in 70 AD within the walls of Jerusalem. That is the population of Philadelphia proper. Not the outlying areas of Philadelphia, but the proper population of Philadelphia is 1.56 million. 1.6 million Jews were exterminated in 70 AD. Historians tell us that Titus, who led that army actually begged Israel to surrender peacefully. Begged them, please do not make us kill you. Begged them. And they refused. Historians tell us that Titus left Jerusalem, threw up his hands, and was heard saying, God, do not hold me responsible for what I have to do. It wasn't a quick invasion like, We see today in modern warfare in those days the army would completely surround the city besiege it They would cut off their water supply their food supply any aid getting in and they would wait for them to starve For them to die of thirst and for plague and disease to enter in They would wait until they had no strength then they would invade and take the city And so at points they were throwing dead bodies over the wall. Mothers were cannibalizing their children. And we are told by historians that by the time the city became weakened and they entered in, these soldiers were so angry, were so defiant because of the rebellion of these men and women that they went in with full rage And the blood in some places flowed so deep that it actually came up over the doorsteps of some of the houses and actually put out the fires in the fireplace. Titus had given explicit instructions to the soldiers that the temple was not to be destroyed. It was a wonder of the ancient world. They wanted to keep it, probably to turn it into emperor worship but he didn't want it destroyed it was a wonder and he wanted to keep it but it was still set on fire despite his command and it burned with such intensity that the gold that we talked about a moment ago melted and it literally seeped into all of the seams in the the stones and remember soldiers in that day were paid first by salt but then they also were paid by the loot that they were able to gain from the seizing of various cities and towns and villages. And so thousands of soldiers like locusts descended upon that temple and tore it apart stone by stone to recover all of the gold. Perfectly fulfilling what Jesus had said 40 years It's a gruesome scene. I, I understand that. But you have to understand this is the context. And you also have to understand lest you think you serve a, a vicious God that this was not what God wanted. This is certainly not what Jesus wanted. This is what The Jews selected, chose to happen in rejecting Christ. Remember in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 41, Jesus is drawing near to the city of Jerusalem and seeing it, he wept over it saying, if you, Israel, had just known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes then listen to this. This is the description of 70 A.D. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and enclose you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. What an incredible statement. What he's saying to them is, is you... All of these things are hidden from you. If only you had known today all that I was doing to make peace between you and God, then none of this would happen. But because you did not know the time of your visitation, I am walking away and judgment will come. He had just talked to them not long before this about the fact that they were hypocrites. He said, you look at red skies in the morning and immediately you say it is going to rain today. You look at red skies at night and you say it's going to be fair weather tomorrow. You're hypocrites. You can look at these physical signs and know what is coming, but you cannot tell the spiritual signs and prepare yourself for what is ahead. I gave you three and a half years to recognize that I had come to visit you, to make peace with you, but you've refused me, and now judgment must come. Well, I'm going to tell you, even on the eve of our July the 4th, America needs to recognize that he has visited us with grace, and our eyes need to open up wide and return to God before judgment comes. Folks, I know that this is not the most encouraging message today. But this is the context of the discussion on the last days. This is the context. This is what gets the ball rolling. And what Jesus was saying to them, and he was continuing to say as we progress through this series, is that nothing, nothing, including your precious religion and your precious temple, are going to save you from the destruction. Only... My presence in your life is going to save you from the storm that is coming. And folks, we need to take heed to that as well. Because as we march forward through Matthew 24, you're going to hear Jesus say that there is a final tribulation, a tribulation to end all tribulations that is coming upon the earth that will make 70 A.D. look tame. More death and destruction will come in three and a half years than what this world has ever seen combined. Civilization ending in many places. Ending no life in entire regions of the world. He says this is going to come before the return of Christ. And he says what I want you to know is is that nothing, nothing that you put your trust and hope in is going to save you from the destruction. Only my presence in your life is going to save you from the coming storm. Folks, are you convinced of that today? Government will not save you. Democrats will not save you. Republicans will not save you. Congress cannot save you the clothing you wear on your back, the house that you have, nothing can save you. Only Jesus can save you from the approaching storm. Jesus. I want to leave with you three thoughts and then we're done. Just three thoughts. And I'm not going to take a long time with them. But there are three lessons that we can learn from this story that we've already heard. Number one Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. As we work our way through Matthew 24, you are going to see the unraveling of everything in this world. The unraveling of government, the unraveling of the environment, the unraveling of kings and authorities, of morality. Everything is going to become unglued. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Peter put it this way. Everything in an instant will pass away with a great noise and with fervent heat. Imagine that. In one moment of time, everything we thought we couldn't live without, everything we saved up to buy will be gone in a moment. The author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 12 verse 27. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but I am thankful today we are receiving a kingdom, the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. Folks, the only thing that will make it in the end is the kingdom of Almighty God. That is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And we need grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because he is the only way we're gonna make it in these last days. Secondly, dead religion will not save you only a living relationship with Christ will provide shelter from the coming storm. The days of religion are all over. And that line is being very deep made very distinct today. Dead religion is not going to save you. Only a living relationship with Christ will provide shelter from the coming storm. No matter how you decorate your religion with scripture and holy talk, if you have no living intimate relationship with Christ, where literally the character of God is being reproduced within you, then ultimately it will fail you in the end. You can go through all the motions, you can come to church every Sunday, you can pay your tithes, you can have all of the emotions that go with it, you can post wonderful scriptures on Facebook and fool everybody around you, but the reality is when the end comes, not one stone in your life will be left on top of the other. And My fear is, is that we are becoming more and more adept to religion than we are to a relationship with Christ. People think that because they come to church, because they pray, because they give their tithes, because they're involved in ministry, that they are saved. But the reality is there are people that go to church every week that worship God with their hands held high, but their hearts are far from him. They go to church, but they do not accept the infallibility of Scripture. They go to church, but they do not feel any desire to live a holy life for the Lord. They go to church, but they have no hunger for the Lord. And they believe that they are safe, but when tragedy strikes, it will strike suddenly and without remedy. Folks, it's not about being religious. It is about being a dedicated man or woman of God who is unshakable in Jesus' mighty. And then finally, God always keeps his promises. I want you to remember in these last days, God will always keep his promises. And that is a good thing. How many of you are thankful that none of these events coming upon the earth are gonna change the promise of God, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you even to the end of the age. How many of you are glad that even in all of it, he'll never leave you? Amen. I I want you to be encouraged with that. But I also want to remind you that God's pronounced judgment then was fulfilled even though they saw no earthly way it could be done. I mean, again, they thought, how could it be that not one stone of this temple is going to be left on the other? How is that going to be? I mean, you, you... It took 80 years to build this. It's not going to come down that easily, that quickly. It can't be done. We even have on record Titus saying, don't touch the temple. But Jesus is in control. And Jesus' promises will come to pass. Even Rome could not stop the word of God from coming to pass. Folks, God's pronounced judgment came then God's pronounced judgment will come in the future. It'll be fulfilled even though all the odds are stacked against it. Always remember, God never plays the odds. Proverbs says, man rolls the dice, but God determines how it lands. Let me tell you, folks. You can roll the dice with your eternity and say, you know what? I think I've got it figured out. But just remember, it isn't you that determines how the dice land. It's God. You can't escape His purposes in your life. My purpose really, I know that this is a heavy message, especially to come back from vacation with. But we have got to know in this hour the times that we are living in. The signs of the times are all around us. And we cannot ignore them. We need to prepare ourselves. Because whether or not Christ comes in our lifetime, the reality is these are still our end days. And before you know it, you're going to be standing in the presence of God. And we want you to stand there with confidence, knowing that you're right with him. And you don't have to cower in fear because you're not. Let's be ready in Jesus' name. Father, As we bow in your presence today, we know that this is a a lot to process, a lot to consider. But our prayer is that as we walk throughout this series this summer, that we would consider the days that we live in, the challenges that we're facing. And I pray that we would not bow To the music of this age But that we would march To the drumbeat of heaven And that we would say I would rather die Than to compromise my faith in God Lord I pray that Understanding these days We would seek you with all of our heart With all of our soul With all of our mind and strength And please you so that we can have that great confidence, even in these days. Watch over us. I pray that we would search our hearts throughout this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. I love you all. Good to be back with you. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful fourth. God willing, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.